Amen. Lord, we thank you that indeed your holiness does surround us. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you're such a faithful, loving, and gracious God. We pray, Lord, now as we go to your word that you administer to every heart that is here. Father, we thank you that you've given us a, a roadmap for life in your word, that it's living and breathing, and it is so applicable to every single life in this room. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one. You will need one. I want to encourage you again that we're, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. This morning we'll be looking at the second half of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, picking up where we left off last week. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We go verse by verse through the Old Testament. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 3 this coming Wednesday. And it's really a blessing just to look at the, the way the Old Testament clearly pictures, reveals Jesus Christ to us and has great application for our lives today. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Corinthians, we've talked about this just by brief way of catching you up. Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to a church that was in a wicked, perverse, and vile city. Corinth was known for its idol worship, its following of, of the Greek philosophers of the day, its temple prostitution, just a really wicked, vile place, a place that was very wealthy, a place that was the sin city of its day. And we know that Paul wrote this letter back after hearing from the, the believers in Corinth, from a lady by the name of Chloe, from her house, saying, you know what, all this stuff is happening, and they've fallen away from God. The, the believers here in Corinth aren't serving the Lord like they should. And what really happened in Corinth is something we need to be careful about living in Santa Cruz today. They became more and more like Corinth instead of having Corinth become more and more like them. Instead of them being salt and light to a world that needed to hear about God, they became more and, light, more, and more like the world that was around them. We're to be in the world but not of it. We're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. And so the first thing that he mentioned to them is because of their getting caught up in, in all the idol worship and the things that were around them. He reminded them who they were. He said, you guys are Christians and you're called to be set apart. He then, when they were struggling with the wisdom of men, he told them, look, it's the Holy Spirit and it's the cross. It's the cross of Christ that transforms life and wisdom comes only from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The world doesn't have answers for you and I. The Lord is the answer, amen? And the God's Word is sufficient. And we don't need to look anywhere else. And so he's writing this letter back and he's exhorting them. Then they've gotten caught up in following after men instead of following after God. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. You know, I'm of Peter. And he said, you know what? We're not to be divided. The body of Christ is not to be divided. We're to be unified. By the way, there's only one church and all believers are a part of it. Amen? And so the other church is meeting here in town today. We should be praying for them, not in competition with them. Pray for the pastors in Santa Cruz. I do every day. Pray, Lord. Just anoint them with your spirit. Minister through them. And if you're visiting here and you go to another church here in town, God bless you. We're all part of the same body. And we're glad you're here to visit. But we're also glad if you're, if you're being blessed where you are. Amen? And so that's really the key. And he said, you guys be unified. Don't be divided. And, and don't be following after men. Follow after God. And he continued on to be concerned because they were suing each other. And he said they shouldn't be suing each other. You don't take a Christian before men. You take them before God. You take them to the church, you don't take them before ungodly men to get counsel. He also talked to them about the fact that sexual immorality was running rampant. And he talked to them about church discipline. How that because we love each other, we are to discipline one another. And what I mean by that is that if we know that someone is, is 
in the midst of difficult time in their walk with God, we need to love them enough to put our arm around them and to lead them back into the right path. Not self-righteously, never arrogantly, never with an attitude, never, you know, I'm, I'm perfect and you're not kind of thing, but coming alongside and lovingly enough to say, hey, bro, I've seen this in your life and I want to encourage you. And the Bible says if that person rejects you, then bring another brother. If they still reject you, it says remove them from the church, not so that they will be, you know, cast out forever, but to restore them to right fellowship. So these are all the things that Paul's been writing to the church, trying to restore them back to where they need to be spiritually. And then we get to chapter 7, and when we got to chapter 7, we saw him move on and begin to talk to them about questions they had. So the first six chapters, he was addressing things that were going on that he had heard from believers that were in the area, that were in Corinth, and now he's addressing questions. And the first question that we looked at last week, and we'll continue to look at this morning, was the question about marriage, divorce, and being single. What does God say about that? What is God's heart? You know, the Bible talks more about marriage than even the church. God has a divine plan for marriage. And since it's about marriage, divorce, and being single, that covers everybody in this room. Amen? Because you're one of those, right? And maybe more than one. And here's the reality. The reality is that God has a perfect plan for you. And that marriage is God-ordained. And in the world today, it's just, it's taken so lightly. But God has a greater plan. And, he, and they wrote this message, or they asked this question saying, you know, with all the sexual immorality going on around us, should we even bother getting married? And if we are married to somebody, we find out that person's an unbeliever, should we divorce them so then we can go and focus on God with all of our heart? Is that, what should we do? And Paul wrote him back, and he told them very clearly that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That means in a, in a physical way, in an intimate way, He said, it's good if a man can be totally devoted to God, but that's a gift that only some have. He said, but if you have a desire, then it's good for you to be married. You know, the Bible, it says in Genesis that each day he looked at creation and said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then the first time he said it was not good, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good. So God brought woman to him, and that was good. And we talked last week about the fact that inside of marriage, that the physical relationship is a God-ordained thing. God loves it. God created it. And we are to have intimacy in our marriage. And any Christian marriage, we talked about last week, that there should not be, you know, withholding a physical intimacy out of bitterness, withholding a physical intimacy because the person you're married to isn't attractive as they used to be. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks where? On the heart, and we go into marriage looking to serve the other person and minister to the other person and lay down our lives to the other person. Marriage isn't about what can you do for me, but it's about what can I do for you. Aaron love, when we get the word erotic, you've heard me say this, is what can you do for me? It's selfish. And agape love is selfless. And so he tells them in marriage, guys, it's not about, you know, uh, what can I get? but what can I give? How can I minister? How can I love? How can I serve? And he said, you know what? And if you withhold or deprive one another physically, you're going to open up the door for temptation. God created the physical relationship between husband and wife, and it is to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Amen? No variation on that. And only in the sanctity of marriage. God hates sex outside of marriage. Satan loves it loves the physical relationship in marriage and Satan hates it. The enemy wants to keep, 
and, and destroy that physical intimacy between you and your spouse. And he wants to distract you and wants to bring temptation. And I promise you, when you start depriving each other or you start treating each other with bitterness, that Satan will very quickly bring an alternative right along. Where you, when you deprive one another, sure enough, there'll be a secretary at work telling your husband how wonderful he is. There'll be a, a neighbor telling your, your wife how wonderful she is. Something will happen. And again, God's design is that there be intimacy in a Christian marriage. And he said the only time that you, you cease to have it is a time that you set aside to go away together and fast and pray. And I said last week, how long can you fast? Right? Not for six years. Amen? So there needs to be that physical intimacy. And you know what? And God designed it. And I said before, you know, the physical relationship in marriage is like fire. You know, it's, physical relationships are like fire. Fire in the fireplace, good thing, right? Warms your house. You can cook over it. You take that fire and put it in the drapes, bad thing, right? And the physical relationship in marriage is wonderful, and the physical relationship outside of marriage is destructive. And so that's what he was talking to them about. And he also spoke about being single. And we're going to look at more about that today. But he talked about being single, and he said, you know what, being single is not a curse. And sadly, too many single people think that it is. I talk to single people all the time, and I'm never going to get married, right? It's just never going to happen. I'm 19, and it's just never going to happen. Right? <laughs> and the reality is that too often we are so focused on thinking that's what the pursuit in life ought to be. We'll talk about that more today. But you know what he said? He said last week that being single is not a curse. It can be a blessing. Because the single person is more able to do more for the kingdom of God. He said a married person is divided between ministering to their family and ministering for the Lord and to the Lord. But a single person can be totally devoted to God. Now, he's not saying that being married is less than being single or being single is less than being married, but he's saying it's certainly a different calling and certainly with marriage comes greater responsibility and comes greater, I don't know if this is the right word, distractions in a sense from really being able to do what God has called you to do. If you're single and you feel called tomorrow to you know, fly to the jungles of Africa and be a missionary, you can do that. If you're married and got four kids like me, probably not going to happen. Or at least God's going to have to work with my wife and all four of my kids too, right? The reality is, again, that being single is not a curse. It's a blessing at the same time. While you're single, while you're married, to be faithful to do what God has called you to do. So that brings us to the second half of 1 Corinthians. And again, I want to say that marriage is nothing to be taken lightly. And I want to talk about just the attributes of of a godly marriage. You know, it's really interesting to me that today we've fallen into the trap of becoming so much like the world where we look for in marriage what the world looks for in marriage. And when I go through today what we should be looking for as single people in a spouse or what we ought to be like as married people in our marriage, it's going to sound very foreign to anybody who hasn't spent a lot of time in God's Word and it's almost going to seem the Word might be old-fashioned or archaic or something right? Because we think, here's how it works. I get yoked, right? Got to look good, right? Make sure, you know, get a nice car, get a good job, and then go out and find me, you know, a fine woman, and and make sure I track her down before someone else gets her, right? And we've talked about this, how when Adam and Eve, when God brought Eve to Adam, he did not give him a bow and arrow and say, go hunt yourself down a wife. That's not what happened, amen? You guys read Genesis? Is that what happened? No. 
What did he do? He caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and he brought him his wife. Amen? And God's desire is that we would rest in him and trust in him and let the Lord bring our spouse to us. So, this morning, what we're going to be looking at is godly advice for unmarried Christians. And another title might be Five Attributes of a Healthy Marriage. These are things that you should be looking for in a spouse. And if you are married already, things that you ought to be looking for in your own life, your own walk with the Lord. And these things, again, will be very different probably than what the world's been telling you your whole life. Matter of fact, I know they will. But may we have a heart. And again, this isn't exactly, you know, a red book quiz on rating your maid or anything like that. But what it is, is again, attributes that we see in God's Word. And we'll just see, first, your own readiness to be married if you're single, and the readiness of the, the potential spouse that God has for you. And again, for those of us who are married, it should be a mirror to look into to reflect on our own walk with God. What should we be looking for in a spouse? Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay? So he just encouraged them. The last thing he said to them before we get to verse 25 is to be faithful in the calling God has given you. Wherever you are, be faithful. Too often we think, i got to have something else happen in my life, and then I can be faithful. As soon as I get a better job, as soon as I get a house, as soon as I get a wife, as soon as we have kids, as soon as the kids are out of diapers, as soon as the kids are in school, as soon as the kids are out of school, as soon as we get college paid for, you know, as soon as I retire from my job, as soon as I can start walking around, I mean, you know, what happens, right? We sit there and give reasons why we can't be serving God, and before you know it, your life is over. And so he said, be faithful where you are. Don't look and say, one of these days I'll start serving God. Start serving God today. Amen? And so this is what he says. He begins with the five attributes that we ought to look for in a godly spouse. Now he says in verse 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. Now it's interesting that the word for unmarried people was virgins. And you know what? Ought to be synonymous with unmarried Christians today. Amen? Now I know the world we live in, sadly, it's more of a, the exception than the rule. But you know what? Should not be so. Should not be so. And you know what, parents? I've got four kids. My kids are 11, 12, 13, and 16. I've got a 16-year-old daughter. And my heart is that when I walk her down the aisle and I take her hand out of my hand and put it in that man's hand, the man that God has for her, and nothing less than that, and I ain't having any less than that, by the way, right? <laughs> but nothing less than that, that from that moment she was born until that moment that she has been under my spiritual headship as her dad. And you know what? We need to desire that, that purity before God until marriage. Now, is that common in the world today? Not at all. Matter of fact, if you're, if you're a virgin and you're in your 20s, that people think you're a freak. They, they think, what's wrong with you? What, what's wrong with you? Here's the reality. Praise God for people like that. And you know, if you're here today and that's you, God bless you. Amen? God bless you. And you wait for the person God has for you. And you don't settle for anything less. And you don't listen to what the world says to you. And he says to them, now concerning virgins, now concerning those who are unmarried, now concerning those who are still single, this is not a direct command from the Lord because he's not quoting anything that Jesus specifically said, but Paul's been put in this position by God and it's just as much authority as if Jesus said it himself. Every word in the Bible is God's word, amen? Not just some of it, all of it. Not just Paul's opinion, it truly is the word of God. Verse 26, I suppose therefore that it is good 
because of the present distress, that it is good that for a man to remain as he is. So I suppose that it's good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. In answering the question on whether or not single people should pursue marriage, that's a question written to, to Paul by the believers in Corinth. He says, you know what, based on the fact that you guys are going through so much persecution, and by the way, at this time they're only about a dozen years or so away from A.D. 70, when Christians, and well the Jews themselves, but Christians too, were being persecuted like no other time. We know that Nero, and they began feeding, you know, Christians to lions. That's not just a fable, that actually happened. They would literally take Christians, Nero would take Christians and cover them in pitch, cover them in tar, and then light them on fire to light up his garden. People would walk through and they had Christians on stakes, lit on fire. And he's saying, you know, based on the present distress, based on the persecution you're going through, based on the fact that you're living in such immorality, maybe it is best that you just remain as you are. Instead of pursuing marriage, instead of pursuing anything else, just pursue God, is what he's telling them. I believe that's, and again, they're writing questions. Should we even worry about getting married with what all is going on around us, with what's going on with the city, what's going on with the government? And it is indeed easier to remain single in the midst of persecution. You know, I can honestly say that I think it would probably be much, I know it would, I know it would be much easier for me to stand up for God if someone wanted to do something to me than if someone wanted to do something to one of my kids. Amen? And I would hope that by the power of God, I'd be able to say, it doesn't matter, I'm going to serve the Lord anyway, no matter what, even if you harm my children. But it would be much easier for them to bring it on. It's okay. You can harm me. But you drag out my, my wife in front of me, or you drag out one of my kids in front of me, and I can imagine that, okay, that brings things to a whole different level, doesn't it? And what he's saying here is, maybe it's better in the midst of this persecution for you just to remain single. Just remain as you are, and pursue God with your whole heart, and know that, that that's okay. And he's responding to their question. It's okay to remain single. And again, when we're married, we're concerned not with just our own welfare, but the welfare of our wife and our children. And again, that's a blessing. And being single is no greater than being married. And being married is no greater than being single. It's what God has gifted you to be. Be that with your whole heart. And so he says here in verse, the next verse, Are you bound to a wife? Seek, do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you're married, stay married. Don't abandon your family. Okay, things are getting tough, or you just gave your life to the Lord. Don't run out on your family. As we're going to talk about in a minute, that's your first ministry. Your first ministry is your family. And that's another reason why being single is less distracting in our relationship with God. He says, if you're single, stay single. Don't strive for a wife. You know what? I believe this is still godly counsel as far as us today. Even though we don't live in Corinth, it's godly counsel for us today. Don't strive to be married. What does that mean? Just fall in love with the Lord and let Him bring you your spouse. Amen? Don't say, I've got you know, to go to another church. I've checked out all the singles here. They're kind of, you know, not really for me. So, and I've had people do that. I've had people tell me, well, I'm going to go down to you know, the church. And as soon as I find a wife, I'll be back, right? You know, I got to go find, you know, there's more women. How many people at that church? And what, what is their age group? You know, and they're calling you on the phone. I've had people call us here. So what's the, what's the singles group like over there, right? There's probably a bigger one down the street if I get that question. There's probably a place you can go down the street. Here's the reality, again, that we don't need to strive but rest. Do you see anywhere in the Bible he tells us to strive? He says, be still and know that I'm God. Amen. Trust in the Lord. Rest in Him. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. 
And I'll tell you what, isn't it so much better when you get to watch God do it than when you try to do it in your flesh? Because if you do it, if you're the one that makes it happen, you're the one that's got to keep it going. But if God is the one who brings it, and God will be the one to sustain it. Amen? And so he says here, look, if you're, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, don't strive for a wife. God can use you right where you are. Don't be so quick to change where you are in your, in your, in your walk with God. Don't be so quick to say, I've got to get this, and then I'll have peace. Again, if you desire to be married, you desire a good thing. And God will bring you a wife in His timing. Trust Him. Just fall in love with Him and leave it in His hands. So, number one attribute that we should see in a spouse that we are looking for. We'll look more in the next verse. One who is already faithful and is content where he or she is right now. You do not want to marry somebody who thinks that marriage is going to be the answer or marriage is going to fulfill all the needs that aren't being met yet. You don't want that person. Can I tell you that right now? You know what you want? You want somebody who's already content in their walk with God. Somebody who's already so in love with the Lord, if they get married or not, it's okay. If God brings me a wife, great. If God brings me a husband, wonderful. If God doesn't, it's okay because He is my groom. Amen? And I have an intimate relationship with Him. And I'm not just, oh, if I find a wife, I'll be, oh, run away, quickly, okay? Quickly, run away. If I ever meet that guy around my daughter, get out of my house, right? You you got needs, bro, but it ain't happening here, all right? Go, okay? You know what I want for my daughter? I want, my da- I want my daughter to meet a guy that's so on fire for God that he's glowing in the dark for Jesus. Amen? I want a guy who's just passionate for the Lord. And you know what? It's going to be a godly husband and a godly father to my grandkids one day if the Lord tarries. And I don't care if he digs ditches for a living. I just want him to be on fire for Jesus. And you know what? Aim high. Don't settle for less than God's highest. Don't marry somebody you've got to drag to church on Sunday. Amen? Find one who's already faithful. Don't say, well, he's, he's kind of cute. And I'll bring him to church, right? No missionary dating, amen? Don't do that. Don't find, and don't find, what? Well, he's a Christian. Check the box. I saw him at church. That, that's good, right? Saw him at church. I, I saw him with a Bible once, so that's two checks. That's it, right? I'm in. No. You want somebody not just that's born again, but somebody who's, who is on fire and passionate for God and loves the Lord with all of his heart or all of her heart. And by the way, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. You want a godly woman, be a godly man. You want a godly man, be a godly woman. Amen? If you walk around with your midriff showing and, and wondering why all the guys are attracted to you for your body, well, what did you use for bait? Amen? That's a youth pastor in me coming out. I can't help it, all right? But here's the reality. I want to encourage you. You want a godly woman? Be a godly man. And don't strive. And so the number one thing is you want to find someone who's already faithful. One who doesn't abandon his or her responsibilities or calling, even in the midst of difficulty and persecution. One who says, I'm going to remain faithful. Isn't striving to fulfill his desire for a husband or her her desire for a husband or his desire for a wife, but is content to trust in the Lord. The person you marry should be faithful in their current status as a single person and be content to remain single for as long as God wants them to be. One who is faithful now in their love for God, in their walk of obedience before the Lord, and to be a man or woman of prayer, the Word, fellowship, worship, and ministering to others. Don't say, I'll change them when we get married. How does that work out, by the way, married folks? Not too good. You want somebody who has a passion for God that's greater than their passion for you. 
you know what? When they say I do, things aren't going to magically change. We have people come in the office all the time that think, well, we just got to get married and it'll all be fixed. No. As we're going to see from the next verse, it's only going to get heavier because the commitment's going to get stronger. And no, marriage does not solve a a poor walk with God. It only makes marriage more difficult. You need to be walking with the Lord and seeking God and passionate before Him before you say, I do. Again, you don't want a guy you have to drag to church. If you have to drag him now, if you have to initiate him, him or her to pray or to read the Word or to have godly discussion by saying, I do, it's only going to get heavier. Again, you want one who's going to be a spiritual leader and a man, a a faithful provider, by the way. Can I say this? This is your pastor's heart. I can't tell you, this is not always true, so I want to make that really clear, but I cannot tell you how many single guys I know who say they really want to be married and they can't even provide for themselves. And they wonder why God hasn't brought them a wife. I know I'm being real direct this morning, but I love you guys and you know it, okay? But I'll meet guys all the time, and they can't even provide for themselves, and they say, well, I don't understand why I'm married. Well, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Amen? And so that man ought to be, and I'm not saying he has to be the CEO of some company, but just diligent and faithful, and know you want a godly woman, be a godly man, and part of being a godly man is being a godly provider. Amen? I know that's hard for some of you guys to hear. You know I love you, all right? You know I love you. But I want to encourage you. You start being, be the godly man God wants you to be now. Not, well, when I'm married, then I'll go out and get a job. Well, when I'm married, then I'll go out and find a place to live. Well, then I, when I'm married, no. Do that now. Amen? Start serving Him now. Now, verse 28, what does it tell us about marriage? Look what it says. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. So he's saying, look, it's better for you to stay single because of all the persecution going on around us. If you do get married, you haven't sinned. But know this. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. Marriage is going to come with a new set of problems. Again, marriage is divine. I've been married, my wife and I, in a couple months, 20 years. Praise the Lord. Love my wife. 20 years. Looking forward to it. Great. And you know what? At the same time, with marriage, I have to be divided in my passions at times. I love God, and you know what? You can love God with your whole heart and be married at the same time. Amen? You absolutely can do that. But know this, that I will have to take more time to minister to my wife and to my kids, which is my first calling. By the way, many naively think that marriage will solve all their problems, as I said before. But marriage does not solve the problem of loneliness. It does not solve the problem of sexual temptation. It does not solve the problem of of all your emotional needs being met. And it does, does not solve the problems of life's difficulties. If you're not at peace with God right now, walking down the aisle won't bring it. Amen? Now, I want to say this. When you're married, I believe that your joys are doubled and your burdens are cut in half. My wife and I share our burdens together and we rejoice together in the great things that God does. And marriage is a wonderful institution created by God and it's great. And it's a blessing. And I'm glad I'm married. And I also want to say this. The gift of being single is a great blessing as well. But I, w- I want to encourage us that as we go down the aisle, it's a cri- it is a commitment to Christ alone that can satisfy all your spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Whether you're married or single, we must learn to be content. 
no matter what our circumstances are, and be focused on Christ, not our loved ones, to solve our problems. The right guy is not going to fix everything for you, ladies. And the right woman is not going to fix everything for you guys. You are, Again, I know I'm, I'm beating this point down, but I, I, there's a reason. Because as a pastor, I can tell you that I am, I'm blown away by the, the way people come in wanting to be married. We met last week. We're ready. I met her. It's all right. She's fine. And she goes to church. We're ready. What, can we get married Sunday? How's Sunday work for you, Pastor? You know, and when I say, wait a minute, you know, slow down. By the way, if this is the man or the woman God has for you, you do not have to close the deal. Amen? <laughs> get her to sign before she changes her mind, right? Some other better looking guy might walk down the street right next to, oh man, I better get her to sign quick, right? No. No striving. Amen? Wait. Be still. Be content where you are. You know what? Again, I love it when I sit across the table from two people and they're totally content in their walk with God. And, and a lot of times it goes like this. You know what? I was just so in love with the Lord. I wasn't even looking to be married. And, and this person's been my friend. And we've spent time together. And then I realized one day, wow, this is the person God has for me. This is really awesome. It wasn't this thing of, I've been lonely, I'm lonely. I finally found one, drag her in here. No. No. Be content. And I want to say for us as married people as well, we need to be content no matter what our circumstances. Amen? Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? And that's God's desire for all of us. Are you content? Are you faithfully trusting God? Are you serving Him right where you are? Your potential spouse, is, is your potential spouse being, being faithful right where he or she is? Do they love the Lord God more than you do? That's what you're looking for in a spouse. Or are you anxious, impatient, and striving to be married? Which is it? Be still. God knows. Does God know that, that you want to be married? Yeah. Does God already have someone picked out for you? He sure does. Start praying for your spouse. Can I encourage you with that? I pray for my kids' spouses all the time. I've been praying for my son-in-law, who I haven't met yet, and I'll wait about 10 years before I meet him. That's just fine. But I haven't met him yet. But I pray for him all the time. And I'm, I am looking forward to meeting him someday, okay? I'm looking forward to meeting him. And when I meet him, I'm going to say, young man, I've been praying for you since before you were born. That ought to be our heart. This is a gift. God's in charge. Trust Him. It's not you getting more muscles. It's not you getting a nicer car. It's not you getting the right hairstyle. It's not you buying the right clothes. It's not you dressing the right way. It's not you losing weight. It's not, that's not it. It's fall in love with the Lord. Be content where you are and trust God to bring you the person He has for you in your perfect timing because it does say, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. So look, I would spare you from all the things that marriage will bring because in marriage, it, it is a gift from God, but it takes the Holy Spirit to make it work. Amen? I'm actually shocked that the divorce rate isn't even high. The divorce rate is astronomical. You know why it is? Because we don't know what marriage is in the world. But we ought to in the church. Amen? We ought to understand what marriage is. We ought to understand that God is at the center of it. And keep the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing every step of it. So attribute number one for a healthy marriage is one who is already faithful. Look for one who's already faithful. Don't try to, no missionary dating, no posers as I used to say, right? You know what a poser is? A wannabe, right? A hope so, right? When it comes to surfing, you know the guy that's got the surf racks on top of his car, got a surfboard on there, got all the stickers on there, right? He's got his hair cut the right way, never seen the ocean in his life, right? Poser, right? That's a poser. 
We have Christian posers. Got stickers on the back of their car. Maybe not on their surfboard, on the back of their car, right? Got all the Christian lingo down. But they're posers. They don't really have that strong walk with God. That's why it's good to have a length of time before you get married. You weed out the posers, right? Oh, yeah, man, that guy, he looks like he's on fire for God. Well, you know him a day and a half. Give him some time, right? Let's find out how he does in the midst of difficulty. Let's watch his life when circumstances change. That's how we'll know this is the person God has for you. Find one who's already faithful. Number two, find one who has an eternal focus. Look at verse 29 through 31. But I say this, this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those who, did not, who had none. Those who weep as those who did not weep. Those who rejoice as those who did not rejoice. Those who buy as those who did not possess. And those who use the world, not misusing it. For the form of the world is passing away. Time is short. The Bible says that life is but a vapor. And as believers, we are to make the most of this brief time on the planet. And too many people are so caught up in their family problems that they miss out on God's calling. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will take care of itself. You know, people think I'm flip when I give that counsel. People say, Pastor Dave, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what the next step is. How many of you have ever struggled with knowing God's will for your life? Raise your hand. Every hand in the room ought to be up. Amen? And you know what I tell you? And what I believe to be true? Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And what? All these things will be added unto you. Let's just be diligent in pursuing God and seek Him with our whole heart and be delighting in Him, and then we do what we want. Why? Because His will becomes our will. Can I tell you that every ministry I've ever done has been a get-to, never a have-to? Why? Because if I'm delighting in the Lord, everything I'm doing, I can't wait. This is great. What a blessing. I get to do that? Praise the Lord. Why? Because you're delighting in the Lord. You're not pursuing position. You're not pursuing anything. Just pursue God and then do what God puts on your heart to do. And look what it says here. Those who weep as those who do not weep. You know, we as believers are not to view marriage and home or financial security as the ultimate goal in life. And we're not to be controlled by our temporal emotions or possessions. Too often as Christians, the walk goes up and down with our emotions. Up and down with our bank account. Up and down with our health. Up and down, and he's saying, look, don't be weeping with those who, you know, don't weep over, don't, when you're weeping, don't be weeping, and when you're rejoicing over things that the world has to offer, don't find your joy in that, and don't be so consumed with buying possessions that that's your, your place of peace and your place of passion. Make your passion God. Make your passion pursuing Him. We are to live life with the soon expectation of Christ's return, not encumbered by things of the world. Look not only for one who is a Christian, but one who is like-minded in their love and passion for God. If somebody is really consumed with stuff, that's not the person God wants you to pursue right now. If somebody is an emotional roller coaster back and forth all the time, they need to grow in their relationship with the Lord and find peace in Him. Pursuing God above all else, more than relationships, more than your emotions or possessions, serving God passionately and fervently. And we're not to neglect our family or our financial duties or responsibilities, but we're to do it in light of eternity. This is not our home, you guys. Amen? Aren't you glad? I'm glad I'm not going to be living in that trailer I live in the rest of my life, all right? I'm just fessing up, okay? I'm blessed to have it. Praise God. It keeps the rain off my, off, my head, off my head, and praise God for it. But here's the reality. This isn't our home. 
But too often, we pursue with such great passion stuff that is passing away when the stuff that is eternal is being neglected. The neighbor that doesn't know Christ has never heard his name, but we're working 80 hours a week so we can put an addition on our house that's already way too big anyway. So we can get the new car, so we can you know, go work out 18 hours a week so we can be, have bigger muscles. And again, all those things in moderation are fine, but if we're doing them and neglecting that which is eternal, we've missed God. And the same is true in the relationships that we pursue. So we need, one, we need to look for one who is already faithful. No missionary dating, no posers. One who has an eternal focus. One who has a Christ-centered life. Their passion, their focus is seeking after God. Again, we need to go to work and do our job as unto the Lord. You know, we're going to have different struggles in life, but our number one passion in life needs to be the Lord. Number three, understands that their marriage is their first ministry. Gals especially, don't marry a guy who's so busy doing 950 other things that he just views you as number 951. Can I tell you that, guys, your first ministry is that woman sitting next to you. That's your first ministry. Wives, your first ministry is your husband. Now, that's, it's when we are being faithful in that ministry that we are then eligible or, or called maybe to do more than that. Amen? And I believe we are all called to do more than that, but it starts there. First question I ask about people who are praying about being involved in ministry is, how's your marriage? How are things in your home? And sometimes I'll ask your wife, how are things at home? Why? Because if a man cannot rule in his own house, how can he rule in the church? How can he minister in the church? How can he do those things? He needs to be faithful in his home. So look, it says here in verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the body and in the spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I say, and this I say, for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Single people are less encumbered by the cares of the world, are more free to serve God, and it's one of the many blessings of being single. But then we'll look what it says about being marriage. Paul's not condemning marriage, but he's simply stating the fact that a married person's cares or concerns are divided between God and the ministry that God has called them to first, which is their family. Okay? Number one calling of a father or a husband is to be, number one, the spiritual leader in your home. Don't abdicate that away, guys. I'm sharing with you directly. Some of you guys have been walking with the Lord a long time and you've never prayed with your wife once. That needs to change. Amen? That was kind of weak. Amen? Amen. All right, we need to pray. Leading devotions in your home. I'm not saying you've got to be Charles Haddon Spurgeon or Chuck Smith. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be able to give a 47-point message with you know, great illustrations, and, right? I mean, I, I don't do that on Sunday, so right? So here's the reality. <laughs> What, what you need to do, get a devotional book out of the bookstore and sit down with your family a couple times a week and open up the Word with them. Not only are you ministering the Word to them, but they see what Dad's priority is. You know, my dad prays. My dad spends time in the Word. My dad's relationship with God is very important. And when they're 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, man, that's huge. And that's the number one calling that we have as men, to minister to our wife and our kids, to initiate prayer and devotions, to have a home set apart to the Lord. If there's stuff going on in your house that shouldn't be, Dad, it's your 
That's, you're accountable for that. Amen? If your kids are watching stuff on TV they shouldn't be, if stuff's coming through your internet that shouldn't be, if there's music in your house that shouldn't be there, if there's stuff going on with your kids behind locked doors or there's stuff going on in your house when you're not around, you're accountable. And the Bible, you know, my, one of my favorite, you call my house, my answering machine, it says Joshua 24, 15, which says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And we as men need to make a decision to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God comes first in this house. And if my kids ever get old enough to where they start telling me, well, I'm 20 years old, or I'm 19, or I'm 18, and you know what, I'm not going to follow those rules anymore. I'm going to say, well, I love you, but you don't live here anymore. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And when, we, when you do that, it's not because you don't love your kids, but you love them enough to not compromise. Don't compromise. So as men, what are we called to do? And even as women as well, what has God called us to in a, in a godly marriage? Be the, that helpmate to your husband. God, guys, you should be bringing your family to church, not your wife. Your wife shouldn't have to be waking you up at a quarter to ten. Get up! Right? That's not good. Right? That's not good. If you can walk in here at 10.30, I'm going to assume that's what all of you did, okay? Come in here at 10.30. Oh, must have been a quarter to ten, wife waking you up, huh? Right? No. I'm, not, I'm kidding. But here's the reality. The reality is that we ought to be the ones initiating it in our home. You know what, guys? Get up. We're going to go to church. Let's go. We're going to go. We're going to hang out with the Lord today. Amen? And make that a priority. If you, tell, if you tell your kids that surfing is more important, if you go surfing instead of going to church, you're telling your kids that surfing is more important than God. If you take your kids to a ball game instead of church, you're telling your kids that ball games are more important than God. Now, I'm not saying be rigid and legalistic and, oh, you've got to go to church. What I'm saying is church should be a get-to and not a have-to around your house. Amen? And it should be a joy and it should be instituted by you, Dad. You're the one. And same with your wife as well. Be an example, not just in word, but in action. So attribute number three of a godly marriage is a husband or wife who make their marriage their number one ministry. A husband who leads and a wife who submits and supports. Again, gals, you want a husband who will lead, not one you have to drag behind you. It says in verse 35, I say this to you not to put a leash on you. That's an interesting use of words. But Paul didn't explain this to condemn marriage, but to keep its calling in perspective. He's saying, guys, I'm not giving you this to to put a heavy burden on you. I'm doing this so you'll have a perspective on what marriage ought to look like. Now, does this sound like marriage in the world today? Like I said, as we go through these attributes, this is the word, the, these are not on the list. You know, if you go call a dating service, probably not going to be the questions they ask. So how on fire for God are you? Are you going to be the spiritual leader in your home? Are you content right now walking with... Well, you wouldn't be content because you call the dating service, right? But here's the reality. <laughs> the reality is learning to trust God right where you are. Singles are less distracted, better able to serve. But for Paul, the most important thing in life was not romantic love, but pleasing God. May that be true of all of us, married or single. Amen? Our number one passion, please God. You know what? If you're a husband or a wife who desires to please God above all else, you know who the most blessed person in the world is going to be? Your spouse. Amen? If your wife's on fire for the Lord and just loves God with her whole heart and she's praying for you and she's a godly wife, you're going to be the most blessed man around. And if you've got a, a husband who's just passionate for God and is a spiritual leader in the home and loves you and serves you and lays down his life for you, you're going to be one blessed woman. 1 Timothy 3, a pastor's qualifications is one who rules his own house well. He must be faithful in that ministry before he can be concerned about others. We're almost done. Last two. Number four, attributes of a godly marriage or attributes we should look for in a godly spouse. One who's submitted 
to godly authority while pursuing their relationship. Let me read this, verse 36. But if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do as he wishes, he does not sin, let them marry. Now this is being addressed to dads. I kind of like this. He's addressing dads and he says, okay, that marriage age woman in your house, that young woman in your house, okay, God's given you authority over her. Back then, marriages were arranged and still are in much of the world today. And I kind of like that, actually. I got four kids. I'm thinking, I'm thinking run it by me would be good, right? But here's the thing. I want what's best for my kids. But here's the reality. The verse addresses the father of a virgin daughter of marrying age, and, it's, and he's saying it's okay for you to allow her to marry. And in this case, it says, pass the flower of her youth, you know, becoming one of those unclaimed blessings in the church. You know, she's older. And he's saying, you know, if, if you feel like she should be married, certainly you can allow it. He's addressing it. It's okay to say it's okay for her to be married. Can I encourage you, though, there's a danger as we get older to rushing into the first opportunity for marriage out of fear that we might become, you know, an old maid or an old man, whatever you call an old man and that's not married, right? And we get this fear, well, I better, the first one that comes along, I better jump. No, aim high, wait for God's highest. Amen? You don't want any less than that. And he says there in the text, he does not sin to let them marry. Look at verse 37. Though. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and is so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. I'm going to write this down on my daughter's door. So <laughs> it says here, he that gives her marriage does well, but he that does not give her marriage does better. My daughter can live at my house till she's 40. So here's the thing. While he may permit her to marry, he may also forbid it. Dads, live such a life before your kids that they will want your input when it comes to marriage. That they'll come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I want you to pray about this. I want, I want to hear your heart. I want to know. And again, couples truly seeking God's highest, submit to authority and accountability. Don't run from it. Too many people run out and get married real quick before someone tries to change their mind. That's not a good sign, right? It's the person who says, you know what? If this is the person God has for me, they're not going anywhere, and I can trust the Lord in this. And you know what? I'm going to go to my parents, and if I'm the guy, I'm going to go ask her dad for permission even to court her before I even start courting her. Now, is this old-fashioned? Maybe, but it's godly, amen? That's how God wants us to do things. Not, find, not meet some woman in a bar, right? and try to hook up. It's go to the, find, see somebody in a godly environment and watch their life for a while and then pray about it. Then after praying about it, go to them and say, you know, maybe we could spend some time together, get to know each other better. And then go ask permission before you start courting from dad. I'll tell you what, the guy who doesn't ask my permission is, is not having it. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're a young man here and you're even thinking about it, here's the reality. <laughs> the reality is... That, they better come, that guy better be understanding God's heart for marriage and God's plan. And you know what? God blesses submission. Not long ago, a couple came to me after already gaining counsel from many others. And I was so blessed to hear them say, you know what, pastor, search the scripture and you tell us what God says about our situation. And if you don't tell us that you've heard from God that we can be married, we're not going to be. I thought, wow. Here's somebody submitted to it. Now, I'm not saying I want the authority. What I'm saying is somebody who just says, you know what? If you don't have a piece about us being married, we're not going to get married. We want to know that the Lord is in it. And we've already gone to 
other people and other people we respect in a godly way. And we know the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. And, we, and if we hear from all of you and you go to the Word and you feel like it's the Lord, then we'll be married. And you know what? They're married. And they're happy. And they're blessed. And, I, and what encouragement. I thought, boy, this is how it ought to be. Not the, well, yeah, we ran off to Reno to get married real quick so no one would change our mind. Right? Or coming into the office, we want to be married on Thursday. How's Thursday looking? Right? What's your name? I don't even know who you are, right? Pre-marriage counseling, I don't have time for that. You're not in love, you're in heat, right? Slow down, right? So the reality is that God blesses submission. God desires that we would be those who wouldn't rush off into marriage, but we would submit to your parents and to your pastors. Your parents and your pastors, do they want you to have God's highest? So why are we afraid to seek their counsel? Why are we afraid to go to the Bible? Well, the Bible might, I better not read that. It might say something about that it keep me from marrying her. I'm just going to close this until after the wedding, right? I mean, and I promise you, if you close it before the wedding, you're going to have to open it a lot after, amen? The reality is, come before the Lord before you're married. God blesses submissions. Your parent, lastly, see marriage as being God-ordained for a lifetime. It's God-ordained for a lifetime. Last two verses. As a, a wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to marry to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Marriage is binding until death do us part. For a believer, God's highest is never divorce. And I just said the word never, and I did, and I meant it, okay? Now, we also have free will in marriage, and if one person takes off and one person commits adultery and one person won't restore, and you've done everything you can to restore your relationship, and that person won't return, then you are free in God's eyes to be delivered out of that marriage. But God's highest is always restoration. Always. With an unbeliever, desertion, and with a believer, only adultery. Only time that God even allows it. And even then, He said it's only because of the weakness or the leanness in their soul. What God has joined together, let no man separate. God loves marriage. It is not good that man should be alone. And this woman was released from her bond through death. And she could be remarried, but look what it says, only in what? In the Lord. Only to a believer. Only to the one that is God's will. Do you know that God has a person for you? I absolutely believe that to be true. He placed all the stars in the sky. He knows who your spouse is. Amen? He already knows. And wait for his highest. And then lastly, he says, but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Paul, we know you did. From Paul's perspective, she'd be better off to remain single then she could be wholly devoted in her service to God. God has gifted some to be single. God has gifted some to be married. May we be faithful in our gifts. So in closing, here's the five things. If you take notes and you didn't get them, you might ask yourself, am I godly marriage material? Well, listen to this list, all right? Is, is the person you're courting, does this sound like that person? If not, wait for God's highest. Are we exhibiting these things in our marriages as well? Number one, in seeking a potential spouse, or attributes for a healthy marriage, one who is already faithful, one who is loving, following, and serving God, one who is content right where he or she is, one who is not striving in the flesh. Number two, has an eternal Christ-centered focus. So one who's already faithful and one who has an eternal focus, one whose passions are not for the things that are temporal, but the things that are eternal. Number three, understands that marriage is called to be your first calling. It's called to be your first ministry understands that. Number four, is submitted to godly authority in pursuing their relationship. 
is willing to submit to, to the parents, willing to come before the pastors for premarriage counseling, willing to say, check out our relationship and make sure this is from God. And then lastly, see marriage as a God-ordained commitment for a lifetime. How much different would marriages be if we use that as a guideline? And how, how, how rare divorce would be in those safe circumstances. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, you do foreordain marriage. Lord, that you're the one who created it, and it's a godly institution. It's a wonderful institution. And Lord, we pray that, that Father, for those who are here that are married, that, Lord, you'd help us as men to be the spiritual leaders in our home, to love and serve and honor our wives, to lay down our lives for them, to, to be the one who directs our family in prayer and in devotional time. And Lord, to live it out before our kids. I pray that when our children see their dad, they see what a godly man looks like. When they see their dad, they see how a, a godly man treats his wife, how he loves her and serves her. Lord, for the women who are married, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to be the godly woman you want them to be, the godly wife, that perfect helpmate, the one who's submitted to her husband as unto the Lord. As her husband submits to you, it's so easy for her to submit to him. And Lord, not that she's less than man in any way, but just that, that calling and that faithfulness that you see in a mom. And I pray, Lord, for the young girls. They'd be able to look at their mom and see what a godly woman looks like. Be able to look at their mom and say, that's what I want to grow up to be. Be able to look, godly young men, be able to look at their mom and say, that's what I want when I have a wife someday, a woman just like her. Lord, I pray also for the single people who are here, that you would strengthen them in their walk with you. Father, they would be content right where they are. Lord, they would be found faithful and be busy doing what you've called them to do right now. And Lord, as they're faithful and as they're seeking you and as they're serving you, Lord, that Father, as their desires to be married, that in your timing you would bring them their spouse. There'd be no striving, no hunting, but simply waiting upon you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that's the center of every marriage. Lord, in this room, that Father, we, may we put you there at all times. A three-chord strand is not easily broken. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.